Uh, good morning, Oakwood family. So glad you're here with us this Palm Sunday, and I also just want to acknowledge all of you who are online this morning. Uh, glad you've carved out this time to uh, be with us and to uh, celebrate uh, Jesus with us today. We're in a series, this is part two, called Jesus is for Everyone. And uh, hopefully you saw last week and, and you were challenged uh, to take this gospel mission very, very seriously. And uh, we've tried to make that easy on you by uh, teaching you to invite and giving you tools. Uh, one of the tools that came in all of the bulletins last week were these invite cards. And on one side it has uh, the Tenebrae service, which I'm really excited about. That's this Friday night, 7 p.m., right here in the sanctuary. Uh, going to be a great time just reflecting on the sacrifice of Jesus. We're going to be reading through those passages together. Uh, going to be a really, really neat uh, service, and so uh, pray that you uh, make it a priority to be here for that. And then also on Saturday, we have our Easter extravaganza, a family event, um, just, just trying to reach out to the community. There's going to be a, a ride-through gospel presentation that people will be able to go on that's going to be really neat, uh, going through some of the final scenes of the life of Jesus Christ. Um, and then also Sunday morning, of course, we have uh, two services for Easter Sunday. And all that information is right here. And we just made it really easy, put all the information here. You don't have to memorize it. You don't have to know times and dates. You just hand this card, put it in someone's hands. And can you imagine that if something as simple as this, as an invite to something at church, could make an eternal difference in someone's life? It could change an eternal destination. Is it worth it for you to take one of these and invite someone this week? I think it absolutely is. We've got to keep the marching orders in front of us, and we've got to remember that we are kingdom workers and that we are working for the Lord God Almighty. just want to put it before us again, our, our marching orders as Christians, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And he says, and surely I am with you always, even until the very end of the age. The call is to make disciples, to go and make disciples. Because we're reminded through this series that Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. He died for everyone. And it's really, it's, it's really a thing. It's really, it's really true. That God's desire is for every human to make that decision to give their life and their heart over to him. Look, look at what these verses say. And they're, they're found all over the Bible. But Acts chapter 2 verse 39 says, The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. All. Everyone. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to who? To everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. We're reminded of it later in the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Talking about the second coming of Christ there. He's not slow in keeping his promises of coming again. As we understand slowness, but listen, it says, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but who? But everyone to come to repentance in Christ Jesus. Jesus is for everyone. It's Palm Sunday. 
Uh, one of my favorite days of the year. I remember Palm Sunday as a child. Uh, I remember some of the things they, they had us do on Palm Sunday, or maybe made us do on Palm Sunday when we were kids. I remember there were Sundays where uh, we would come in with palm branches, and they'd hand it out to all the children, and they'd sing a song, we'd all wave the palm branches. You know, I remember uh, doing you know, Easter cantatas and all those kind of programs and stuff. And there was this excitement about Jesus being hailed as king. Jesus finally being the one that is just, that is, he is the son of God. And he is the anointed one. And, and, and we're going to finally acknowledge him. And when you read these passages from Palm Sunday, you, you get that feel. That these disciples and all of these that were following Jesus, that they were finally like, yes, we're good. like people are finally starting to get it. And they're starting to worship him and they're starting to understand that he is the king of kings. That he is the Lord of lords. That he is the son of God. That he's the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting and watching for. I invite you to turn your Bible to Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. That's where we're going to begin this morning, reading one of those passages. And, and these Palm Sunday passages are actually found in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can find uh, each writer uh, talking about Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem for Holy Week. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, we're going to look at verses 4 through 9. Listen to what it says. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. So even Jesus coming into Jerusalem for Holy Week actually fulfilled prophecy from the Old Testament. It says this in verse 5. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and had placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. And the crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. That's right. Jesus to be praised. It's the praise parade. It's this triumphal entry. And I'm sure the disciples by this time are like, yes. He's finally getting the credit that he's due. He's finally being worshipped the way he should have been worshipped. And remember, these guys had hung out with him for three years, and these crowds were, were gathering him. They had heard of him. In fact, if you go down to verse 10 there, it says that the whole city was stirred by Jesus coming into Jerusalem. I also want us to read another passage in Luke's account, Dr. Luke. In Luke chapter 19, Verses 28 through 42. Listen to what he says there. It says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say, The Lord has need of it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners came out because, you know, they thought they were stealing the colt. The owners came out and said, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. The Lord has need of it. And this is the original Star Wars sequence, right? When, when it's like, these are not the droids you're looking for. It's like, the Lord has need of it, right? Yeah, the original force comes from God. I bet you didn't know that. But anyway. And in verse 35, it says, They brought it to Jesus, they threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground. 
And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully, began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all of the miracles that they had seen. And they said, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. That sounds familiar, right? That's like from the Christmas story. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And here they're saying, peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem with the praise parade and everything that was going on, and he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. Can you imagine what that moment was like if you were there? And you were the disciples and you'd followed him on this path. And, and, and there were people putting their cloaks down as a sign of honor and homage. They're waving palm branches. They're laying the palm branches down in his path. And they're saying things like, blessed be the name of the Lord and glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth and peace in heaven and, and all of this glory. And then Jesus gets to the point where it's kind of the pinnacle, like he's heading down into Jerusalem. He gets to this point and he looks over the city. And I just imagine if I'm a disciple and I see Jesus on this donkey, that Jesus is maybe his shoulders just begin to shake. You know, like when someone begins to sob. That's all they could see is like, what's he doing? Oh, he must be laughing. You know, he's, he's joyous and he's laughing. And I can just picture the disciples coming up beside him and being like, what in the world? Why is he? Jesus is torn up. It says that he looked over Jerusalem. He saw Jerusalem and then he wept over it. And he's sitting and you wonder, well, what was he weeping over? And it gives us the answer uh, right there in verse 42. Because he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Because the peace was only found in him as the son of God. He was the prince of peace. And so if they wanted peace, they were only going to find it in him. He said, if you'd only known that, if you'd only paid attention. But now it is hidden from your eyes because of your sinfulness, because of your choices. It's going to be hidden from your eyes. And Jesus wept over the lostness of Jerusalem. And I just wonder, as followers of Christ, as people that are called by God to live out Matthew 28, to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, when was the last time that you wept over the lostness of people? Like, let's get really serious for a moment. When was the last time you actually, you actually contemplated that someone you know, that if Jesus were to come back right now, or if God would demand their life from them today, that you know because of the fruit on the tree, and Jesus says, you'll know my disciples, you know my followers by their fruit, that you would say, wow, they're, they're going to go to hell. So final, it, it's, it's just over. Life is short. When was the last time that you wept over someone who has lost? When was the last time that you actually worried about that family member? For some of you, it's your kid. 
It's one of your kids. For some of you, it's your spouse, and that's why you're here by yourself this morning. For some of you, it's, it's maybe a grandparent, and, and, and you love them, but you know they don't know Jesus. For some of you, it's a friend, and it's that friend at work that everyone likes, and you love hanging out with him, and he's a great guy. Like, that's what you would say about him. He's, like, he's a really, really good guy, but he's going to hell. She's a really, really great lady and such a good, close friend of mine. But she doesn't know Jesus as Savior. And maybe we should take our cue from Jesus because Jesus saw those people. Even on the heels of the praise parade and the joy and the excitement, he weeps over the lostness of Jerusalem. And I wonder if we need to specifically run through in our mind who's, who's, who's really, like, like really, think about it, who's really saved here? Who's really walking with the Lord? And, and who is not? But it can't stop there. It can't stop with us just weeping about it. <clears throat> it can't just stop with some emotional thing that we have and that, you know, oh yeah, we're, we're sad about it. Because it didn't stop there for Jesus. Jesus went on into Jerusalem. Jesus went on and did Holy Week, right? And he went on even until Thursday when he had the upper room discourse with the disciples. He even had the Garden of Gethsemane and he was arrested and he was beaten and he carried it all the way through to the cross of Calvary. Friday night in the Tenebrae service, it's going to be awesome. I hope you can come. We're going to be really understanding and, and, and just looking at that sacrifice of Jesus. I really think it has the opportunity to change some hearts. But he didn't stop there. He, he, took, he took action. He, he went forward with the mission. He went forward and, and played his part in the role as the blameless lamb that was going to be the sacrifice for all mankind. Yeah, he sacrificed. And I wonder how much more should we sacrifice for him? Take up your cross daily and follow me is what he said was the call to discipleship. We are called to follow him, to, to be doing evangelism, to be sharing our faith, to have a culture of inviting. And so knowing this, knowing that we are called as disciples to make disciples, fully devoted, lifelong followers of Jesus Christ in his way. And if we know that's God's heart to the point he would sacrifice his son, and knowing that we are called and our role in this is to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and his free gift of grace, forgiveness, and salvation, what do we need to remember to do? What can we learn? What, what can we do about this? And hopefully by now the reality has set in that there are lost people that you know. They may even be in your home, but they may even be at your family reunion. They may be at work tomorrow. And what has God called you to do about it? I want to share some things I think that will help this morning. Three things. The first one is this. Remember this. Love and acceptance open the door to influence. Love and acceptance open the door. You know the story. You remember Zacchaeus, right? 
A wee little man, and a wee little man was he, but do you remember who Zacchaeus was? He was a tax collector. And not for the Jews, but for Rome. He was of Jewish descent, but worked for Rome. Now remember, at this time, uh, in, in, in the, the story of the Holy Lands, is they're under Roman occupation, and no one liked the Romans. And so if you worked for them, as a native Jew, you're kind of seen as an outcast. People would be really mad at you, like, why are you working for Rome, and why are you collecting taxes? And not only that, but this guy named Zacchaeus, he was, he was dishonest. He would collect more money than Rome required and keep it for himself. And so he was very rich, and he was very shrewd, and he was very greedy. And Jesus comes into this town, and he's, he's walking through town, and there's this crowd following him. And it says that Zacchaeus, being a wee little man, uh, he climbed up in a sycamore tree because he wanted to see Jesus. And that Jesus, with all these people around him, comes to this place and looks up in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down because I want to fellowship with you today. I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to eat a meal. And I know you can afford it. You got servants, they'll just whip it up. Okay, let's go to your house, let's go. And the crowds are like flabbergasted, right? I mean, why would Jesus want to associate not only associate, but it almost seems like Jesus is accepting Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Dishonest swindler, and that's who Jesus wants to hang out with. Nice. Yeah, that's exactly who Jesus would hang out with. Jesus loved and accepted Zacchaeus as a child of God, as, as someone who was created in the likeness of of God, created in his image as all human beings are. Now don't, don't mix it up here that, oh, if we accept them, we have to accept their behavior. No, we don't have to accept their behavior. We just accept them as a person. I mean, did Jesus accept Zacchaeus' behavior? No. He showed him love and acceptance by sharing a meal with him and by going to his home. And what happened to Zacchaeus? Do you remember the rest of that story? Zacchaeus was changed. He said, hey, anything I've stolen from people, I'm going to give back. I'm back. I'm going to pay it double, triple, triple the amount. I, I, I'm going to make everything right that I've done wrong. I mean, his encounter with Jesus, who loved and accepted him, totally changed his life, totally changed his eternal destination. Because of an encounter with someone who chose to love and accept. And I think sometimes we... As Christians, we get into the behavior modification mode, right? If we can just change their behavior. But Jesus says, no, I want to change their heart. The behavior will follow the heart. And so if you're dealing with somebody in your life right now, or maybe you're dealing with yourself right now, you're like, my behavior is not lining up. It's because your heart is not lining up. And Jesus says, you know what? I love you and accept you right where you're at, but I love you too much to leave you there. And that's what we're called to do as Christians, to be the hands and the feet, to be the voice, to be the relators of Jesus Christ to the world, to pour in and press into people's lives and say, I love you and I accept you and I love you so much I cannot leave you in this pattern in your life. You are not doing things God's way and you know it. Most people know it. Even people that are so lost, they sometimes sense it. Like inside, they just know. We're called to love and accept. We did this, this series on the Ten Commandments, and if you remember this, we, we talked about when Jesus was asked about the commandments, and, and one of the Pharisees, you know, the religious types were like, hey, which is the greatest commandment? And they were actually trying to catch Jesus, but you're not going to catch Jesus in your words. And anyway, Jesus responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God, because God's first, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And that was what the first four commandments that we studied were about. You remember that? And then beyond that, the next six deal with your relationship with people. And what Jesus said about that was love your neighbor as yourself. And he said the second commandment is like it. It's not as great as the first commandment, but it is like it. It's close. And so love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and be committed to God. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love yourself? Well, of course. You take care of yourself? Yes. Got a car to get here to church in? Air conditioning or heat? Yes. Clothing? Yes. Nice house? Yes. Do you take care of yourself? Do you wish to take care of yourself even if you don't take care of yourself the way you wish you could? Yes. It's there, right? Love your neighbor like that. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we as Christians say, okay, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus puts no qualifier there in Scripture. He just says love them. And we think, oh, that's easy, right? Just love them. But we have this problem, it seems. We don't love people that are not like us. And Jesus didn't say, love your neighbor as long as they believe exactly the same as you. Love love your neighbor as long as they believe exactly the same as you. Love your neighbor as long as they vote like you and have the same political views that you have. Just, Just love those neighbors. No, he didn't say that. Love, love your neighbor if they look like you, if they're in the same lifestyle as you, the same socioeconomic status of you. Love your neighbor only if they believe the same as you about religion. Love your neighbor only if they're from the same ethnic background and have the same values that you have. No. Jesus just said, love your neighbor as yourself. And maybe he was on to something there because maybe Jesus knew. And I picked Zacchaeus here, but I will tell you there were 12 other illustrations I could give you from the Gospels where Jesus says, I love and accept someone through association with them, through like building a friendship, sharing a meal, big deal. There are 12 other times where Jesus does this. He loves and accepts someone, and he loves them enough not to leave them, and it completely changes their life. I'm telling you, it changes their eternal destination, and it started with love and acceptance. Maybe Jesus is on to something here when he says to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're going to love our neighbors, if we're going to to live like Jesus is for everyone, if we're going to grow as a church, and we're going to fill heaven with more and more disciples, then we have to personify the second greatest commandment by loving our neighbors. And maybe that's a starting point for you. Because love and acceptance open the door to influence. The second thing this morning is we need urgency to replace complacency toward our mission. We need to have this sense of urgency. Our default is complacency because that's so much more comfortable. And complacency doesn't require anything of us. But the disciples in the first century were so urgent. And I wonder if you would consider this. Jesus is coming again. Who's closer to Jesus' return? The disciples in the first century or us in 2021? Yeah, we're 2,000 years closer to that event. He may come this week before Easter. No one knows the day or the hour of Christ's return, only God himself. We don't know when he's going to make that choice. But they lived life with this urgency, and that's why we read in the book of Acts that the church grew by 3,000, because they told everyone there was a sense of urgency. Jesus is coming back. 
And if you lose your life before you call on him, there's hell to pay. And so there was this urgency, and we, as followers of Christ, have to replace complacency toward this mission of making disciples with some urgency to have an immediate response. You remember the story of Jesus calling the disciples? It's found in Matthew chapter 4. If you want to turn there, if you're in the app, it'll be there for you. Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is calling the very first disciples who he's going to pour himself into. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. You might have heard of these guys. Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Some translations there say, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And how do they respond? Because they're in the middle of work, you know? I mean, in verse 20 it says, at once, at once. They left their nets and they followed him at once. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they were in the boat with their father, Big Daddy Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, Jesus called them to follow him. And immediately, immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. They left their work and they left their dad. They chose to follow Jesus at once, immediately, with a sense of urgency, they choose to follow Jesus. And I wonder if Jesus were to call us to some mission, say, the Great Commission, how would we respond? What if you were face-to-face with Jesus Christ right now, and you actually had this verbal conversation with him, and he said, I want you to be fishers of men. Are you ready? Go now. Like, Yesterday, go. Make disciples. How, 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 Lord? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them everything I've commanded you in Scripture. Which is what, Lord? Make disciples. How? Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. You see, it's this cycle. The, the disciples, like true disciples, make other disciples and make disciples and make disciples. And it's our response to God's call. Is there a sense of urgency there? Is there a sense of immediately, yes, I'm going to follow you? I think sometimes we really have no idea the number of people God may want to influence through our lives. No idea. Because we are living this life of complacency and not this life of urgency. And we're called in Scripture to be ready. Scripture says to always be ready. To give an account for the hope that you have. We're called to be prepared. We're called to have this sense of urgency. We're called to make the most of every opportunity that God gives us. Make the most of every opportunity. Be prepared. Be ready. Say yes. And go. We need to replace. We need urgency to replace complacency. Toward our mission. And the third thing this morning is that we must remain focused. We must remain focused on making disciples because we are kingdom workers. We're kingdom people. 
And our kingdom is not of this world. We get so sucked into this world, so worried about this world, we lose sight that we are kingdom people, that our kingdom is not of this world, and we are kingdom workers. And so we have to work toward remaining focused on making disciples and doing the Great Commission and doing the work that God and His Son Jesus has called us to do. We have to have this worker mentality about it to push God's mission, to push His goals and His objectives forward in our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18-20 through 20 says it this way, All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That... God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're the, we're the messengers. We're to take it to the world. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We're his ambassadors. We're, we're his representatives. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you. Then he, then he just does the mission right there. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Maybe that's your line this week. I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why then don't we do it? I think we just get so distracted by life in this world and so desiring comfort over desiring what God will want in our lives. It's not easy. We know the call to discipleship. I mean, we read it last week. Hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, even your own life. Tape your cross daily. Give up everything that you have. It's so worth it because of the heavenly rewards, the eternal rewards we get for our faithfulness lived out in this world. It's not easy, but it's necessary. And I imagine this morning that you have somebody on your heart and on your mind that you know you got to have that conversation with them. You can't let another day go by without throwing out a lifeline to that person. And so we focus. We must remain focused on making disciples because we are kingdom workers. And Jesus calls those disciples. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I want to end the, the message today by looking at John's Gospel, chapter 21. So if you want to turn over to John from Luke and Matthew, turn over to John, last Gospel. John chapter 21. Now what's unique about this is we're kind of jumping ahead in the Easter story because this is actually after Jesus has already resurrected from the dead. And he's appearing to the disciples. So let's, let's pick up there in the story and see what are his disciples doing. These fishers of men, what are they doing? In, ver, in uh, 21, uh, John 21, verse 1, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, recognize the name? Matthew, Matthew 4, you're here. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee. Remember the sons of Zeb? Big Daddy Zebedee, sons of Zebedee were there. James and John, and two other disciples, two others were also there together. And look at verse 3. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. I'm like, yes. Sure, it's like, yes, he's going out to fish for men. Simon Peter told them, and he said, and then their others said, we'll go with you. It's like, yes. Church getting active, right? Getting ready for the book of Acts and all this growth. And so they went out and they got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. What are they doing in a boat? 
Well, there are men in the sea wait. Verse 4, early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, hey, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And they did, and they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish that they caught. They went back to fishing for fish. But they were called to fish for men. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say that, It is the Lord, he wrapped out his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. It means he was in his skivvies, by the way. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, only about a hundred yards. And when they landed on shore, they, they saw a fire burning coals, and there was fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said, hey, bring some of those fish over here that you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn, which was miraculous in and of itself. Again, Jesus doing miracles proving himself to people. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him who you are because they knew. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. But I wonder how Jesus felt in that moment. Well, let's read on, verse 15. When they had finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Let me do a little interpretation for you. Fish for men. Feed my sheep the gospel message. What are you doing going back to the old pattern of life? I trained you for three years not how to fish for fish. In fact, you stink at it. Your net was empty. I'd do a miracle to load your net down. No, I taught you to be a fisher for men. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then feed my lambs. Do you love me? And get out and start fishing for men. Don't go back. That's what Jesus was saying here. I died for everyone and I rose from the grave. Don't go back. Don't go back to the apathy, the complacency. Peter, I've given you all the tools you need. I'm going to leave in a few days and ascend to heaven. And you know I promised it. 
All through John 13 through 17, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to live in you. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, care for my people, go after the lost, make disciples. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Then that's what you'll do. That's what you'll do. That's what people that really love me do. They feed my sheep, they go after my lambs, and they share my love and my grace and my forgiveness with the world. And we have such an opportunity this season and this week to invite someone to a tenebrae service on a Friday night at 7 o'clock, to invite someone to an Easter extravaganza where they're going to get some candy and some eggs, but they're going to go on this ride that takes them through these scenes of the life of Christ Jesus. Inviting them to, to, to services on Sunday. Having that gospel conversation, maybe inviting them into your class or, or into your small group. Inviting them to coffee this week and saying, there's something that's really just been eating at me and I've got to talk to you about it. You know if you ever drop that line to someone, you know what they do? They lean in. What is it? I need, I need to talk to you because I'm really worried about if you were to die today, where do you think you'd go? Jesus says, feed my sheep, care for my lambs. Be a gospel people. Remind yourself every day that Jesus is for everyone. He sacrificed for everyone to have the opportunity to respond to him. And we are his hands and his feet and sometimes his voice, sometimes we're Jesus with skin on. And sometimes that's what people need. And God wants to use you and me to proclaim the gospel to the world, to make disciples who make disciples. So that there's a whole other generation of Christians coming in behind us. And so we fill heaven with God's children. I want to respond to the message today by taking communion. And hopefully uh, when you came in this morning, you got uh, this, these emblems. And if you're, if you're with us online, hopefully you've made these preparations. We're going to do this a little bit different today. We're actually going to take these emblems together. Remember when Jesus was there with his disciples the night before the crucifixion in the upper room? They were celebrating the Passover meal, which probably seemed a little bit normal to the disciples because Jesus had done that with them before. But the intensity of that meal was different this time, and Jesus said and did some different things. What Jesus did different this time is he took the bread, and he says, I know what this has represented in the past, but now this is going to represent my body, which is going to be broken for you. You're going to see it shredded tomorrow. And when you guys get together and you take this bread, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. This is my body that is broken for you. Let's take the body of Christ together right now. And Jesus in the upper room at that meal, then he took the cup. It was the blood of the new covenant, he said. It was his blood that was going to be poured out for them. He says, and every time you take this, 
I want you to do this in remembrance of me. My purpose is this sacrifice would always be in the forefront of your mind. Let's take the blood of Christ together this morning. You please pray with me. Lord God, we take these emblems and remember your sacrifice that we're observing this week, Holy Week. God, we stand in awe of an almighty God that would sacrifice his son. And not just for us, and not just for us in the sanctuary or watching online right now, not, not just for, for Christians that are already Christians, but for lost people who aren't. God, we're reminded from the story last week that we leave the 99 and go after the one that is lost. God, I pray that this holy communion that we just participated in, as we come around your table, we take these emblems, we do this in remembrance of you, and it's our motivation to share the gospel with everyone and everywhere this week because Jesus is for everyone. His sacrifice, he died for everyone. And yet there's so many that need to make that decision to follow him. There's so many, Lord, that need to be brought into the fold. And I just pray, God, we would be your church. We would be your people. We'd be your hands and feet. We'd be the disciples, the real disciples of Jesus. And we'd be about the Great Commission. And know that all this is possible because of the power of your death and your resurrection. All things are possible with you. All things. So God, may that be our motivation. God, we thank you for moments like this where we can take these emblems and remember what the gospel, what our faith, what our worship is really all about. It's about the love, the sacrifice of an amazing God. And Lord, we are just in awe of that this morning. God, help us to be about your mission. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take a moment right now and just reflect on Jesus Christ?